0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t shirts would fly off the shelves right now. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to thirty-six percent better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort. With thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a one-dollar a month trial period at Shopify.com/arsblog. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/arsblog now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com/arsblog.
1: is ArsCast extra
0: hello and welcome to another ArsCast extra as always with james from gunner blog james good
1: morning to you good morning to you too andrew how you doing
0: i'm all right i'm a bit out of breath people will be disappointed to hear that just as uh, as we were about to start recording this my doorbell went <laughs> it was a delivery so i had to yeah. run down open the door But because it happened before we started recording, there's no scope for doorbell music, so... It was just
1: timed incorrectly. If that doesn't sum up the last 12 hours or, you know, 24 hours or so, then what does? We didn't even get the doorbell music, Andrew.
0: God damn it. I have this funny
1: feeling that we might be doing this podcast just to ourselves. Like, (laughs) I've never... (laughs) <laughs> no, not <laughs> Arsenal fans to kind of move on from a game <laughs> so quickly. Um obviously there's a bit of kind of recriminations today, but mm. looking at my social media, it's like everyone's got new hobbies this morning. People are into, you know, rugby and golf and gardening and things. Competitive um, frisbee. Yeah, yeah. It's the the I, I guess it's partly an act of necessity. Everyone recognises we have to compartmentalise this game and and focus on the next two. But it's also an act of will, I imagine.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I do wonder how much people will be uh, willing or wanting or desiring to relive much of last night. Because, you know, I have to be perfectly honest, there isn't a great big part of me that wants to talk about this in any great detail. But, you know, it's the job, and I'm happy to do it. I feel lucky to do it, but I can completely understand if there might be people out there going, well, that was shit. We've got another game on Monday. Until then, Mm. I'm watching Eurosport 3, the World Lacrosse Frisbee Championships, whatever. It's
1: Eurovision this weekend, Andrew. A lot of people will suddenly be very invested in Eurovision. (laughs) Rayomuni I've got bad news. Actually, Ireland Nul... haven't made the final. Oh no! They went out last night in the oh, semi-finals.
0: Oh no!
1: I know it's your your greatest participatory event, really, Ireland, in terms of your record. Yeah, you, we're really?
0: very good at it, but you know, on my give a shitometer, that's pretty fucking far down the list. <laughs> no. I have to tell
1: you. <laughs> i tell I'll you was just saying, what- like, it's been a bad again. It's been a bad 24 hours. What can I tell you? Oh,
0: uh, listen, I'll tell you what. um 7.40 last night I turned on my TV, right? Because I'm not watching any of the fucking build-up or anything like that. Hmm. Uh, Turned on my TV. Skybox would not turn on. There really? was an omen as well, yeah. Had to come how upstairs. did you watch? Got a good stream. I had to come upstairs to my office and, and sort of work on the computer upstairs and, and do it that way. Um, that was an omen. Yeah, it was a bit, wasn't it? How was it, uh, how was it for you to... To go to that terrible, oh. dark,
1: horrible place. I haven't been to Spurs for an away game since um, the game where Sesk and Adebayor both scored brilliant goals from oh, long yeah. range. Oh, yeah. Um, which I think Amy Lawrence was reminding me. It was around 2010, 2011, something like that. I don't know if that sounds right. That sounds a bit late to me.
0: Sounds a bit late. It could be maybe two thousand and nine, two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine.
1: What was the score? Three one? Five seven so I don't know. I can't remember. I don't know. Let's let's have a look. September two thousand seven. I thought it was, maybe it was. Wow. And um Yeah, so a long time. I basically have no desire to ever go there. And leaving the stadium last night, I remembered why. You cannot get away from that place. It is a nightmare.
0: Is it like one of those um, you know, one of those horror movies where somebody's trying to leave a hotel or something like that, and they're going around the corridors and it's just a square.
1: Uh, Whichever way of, you yeah. go, it's a, it, it's you end it's up a back where you started, sp- yeah. <laughs> it's a transport black spot. And um, it is an impressive stadium, saddens me to say. Um, yeah, but even atmosp-
0: even cunts can have a nice car. You know what I mean?
1: Well, well put. Uh, and the atmosphere was good um again i take no joy in saying that but it was loud in there i think the acoustic of the place um i mean they were probably piping stuff in andrew yeah yeah, you know for sure they've got all the modern technology Mm. but it was horrible being there but in a way it's kind of like quite sort of purgative like to to really suffer Like, I really suffered in those 90 minutes. I had literally Spurs fans all around. The noise was raucous. They were loving it at the time of their lives. In some ways, there is a kind of catharsis to that. It's like ripping off a band-aid, you know. I experienced Mm. all the agony of it in the 90 minutes. And I think I sort of walked away from it, slightly purged by that, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah, I get it. I I I did see your pregame tweet. I was thinking, God, he's wearing a very distinctive jacket. I wouldn't have done that. I'd have worn something, you know, dark and not quite. I wanted to wear red,
1: and I thought I can't. But I was like, can I sneak some red somewhere? (laughs) Anyway, um, it was, yeah, it wasn't nice. It wasn't Mm -hmm. a nice evening. I had quite a bad feeling going in, and unfortunately, all my bad feelings came to pass. Well, look, I suppose we better get
0: on and talk about it then. So team selection same team as Leeds Ben White was back in the squad but on the bench which I think was telling and actually from what I understand Ben White has done quite well to get to the bench Uh, even though I know there's been you know questions about him and could we have used him etc etc and I think we'll come to that but he stuck with the same team that beat Leeds in the same formation and I think there are probably some implications uh, to that, that we will discuss as we get to these uh, big incidents. But we started pretty well. We started quite brightly, um, had plenty of possession in the Tottenham half. And I've seen some talk about how maybe it was the wrong formation because of the way the game went. But I don't feel like we were getting ripped apart or anything like that. There were one or two, maybe one or two moments where where it didn't quite go as as we would have liked. But the, the idea that Kane and Son were getting the run of the place, as can happen when you play with four at the back as opposed to three or with the back five, I didn't really see that.
1: No, I was surprised that it was a back four and that it was the same 11. Um, I guess some of that will have been informed by fitness and availability. But yeah, the first 20 minutes were okay. I mean, there was a plan. Elneny was sort of dropping in to pick Kane up. <sighs> Um, between uh, the centre-halves at times. Um, I mean, funnily enough, watching the opening 10-15 minutes, you thought if there was a team who looked like they had come having to win, it looked a bit like Arsenal. I mean, we were the more yeah. aggressive. It was kind of the opposite of what you might expect. And actually, I have to say, there were a couple of moments where that worried me, you know, where we did push quite high and uh, there was one break, I think Kulisevsky, um, kind of got in behind and went shoulder to shoulder with Gabriel. And I did think, you know, is, is that a risk? Have we come here looking to win mm. maybe a little bit too much? I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, and all those kinds of things. But yeah, I mean, generally we started okay. I mean, obviously the game hinges on a couple of big, moments and a couple of big refereeing decisions, right? Yeah. So, I mean,
0: which one do you want to do first? Because I think while we're talking about the shape and while we're talking about the team, we might as well talk about the Rob Holding thing first because um I know that the the penalty came before he was sent off, but that was like a running theme from the start. Yeah, his, there's a great his-
1: stat um, from Opta, Rob Holding... um Commit four fouls in the game all on Son in the first 33 minutes. And that's the most fouls he's ever committed in a Premier League game. Wow.
0: I mean, we can go into the nuts and bolts of it. Um, But were you surprised by that performance from Rob Holding? Because whatever else you might say about him, if you think he's a limited defender or whatever else it might be, that is not the way he plays. I don't think I've ever seen him play that way before. And I know people have talked about the the FA Cup final display when he was a bit more toe-to-toe with Diego Costa. But Costa Costa tried his look across our backline that day, and there was that famous moment with Holding. But do you think he was instructed to play that way? Do you think he was so fired up that... He he wanted to get stuck in. He wanted to be physical. He wanted to show how much he cared, whatever it was. I'm finding it hard to understand why a guy who's usually pretty level headed, pretty calm, pretty straight down the line, who doesn't make that many fouls, as we know, as you've just explained to us in statistical terms, that's very much an anomaly. Why do you think he played the way he did?
1: I don't know because it could be instruction. Mm. I mean, I have some quibbles with the instruction anyway, the way that half of the defence was set up, you know, Cedric was quite tight to Sessignon on the overlap on the outside and Holding was kind of following Son almost wherever he went. And that I think is kind of the last thing you want Rob Holding to be doing. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Um We've all talked about what a good penalty box defender he's become. I think as a halfway line defender against one of the most agile forwards in the league, probably less so. It may have been in motion, may have been caught. It was a very volatile atmosphere and a lot at stake. Mm. but I'm not sure I buy that. It felt more deliberate it I felt yeah, yeah, do you agree with that? It felt like yeah. it was a ploy.
0: I agree, and I do wonder if they were trying to wind Son up or whatever it was. But I think in the heat of that, I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to do that with Son, you need to be really good at the dark arts. You know what I mean? You need well, to you're, be you're really going up against
1: a master. Well, to that's be exactly
0: it. You know, a guy who's got this kind of choir boy reputation, but let's face it, he's a snide little player um, in his own right. You know, he's very good at making sure referees know he's been touched or clipped or whatever it is, as well as being. You know, physically, he can put it about himself and he gets away with it. He's like Sadio Mane at Liverpool for me. He's a guy who really crosses the line at times, but because of whatever it is, he just doesn't seem to get pulled up on it. Nobody really talks about it beyond opposition fans who are on the other end of it. You know, this idea that, you know, there are certain players get a reputation for being dirty based on I don't know maybe one or two incidents and because of their size or their brawn or something that carries around with them for the rest of their career
1: well we got um, one instance in midfield
0: well yeah and then there are others who do stuff week in week out and, and get away with it and I think Son is one of those players and I I don't think it was smart um to instruct Holding to play that way because he can't play, A, that high up the pitch and get back if he gets turned and Son is well capable of turning you. And also he's not capable of... Like, he's a nice guy, Rob Holding. Like, I'm not suggesting he's a um some kind of wallflower, but at the same time, he's not that kind of character. You could go to that little incident that everyone's talking about where Son throws an elbow because, you know, he's been... Um, wrestled basically by holding. Like if that was the other way around, Son is holding his face and going mm. down and there's a VAR check for the ages. Whereas holding is too honest to play that way. So he's too honest to do the other side of it, if you know what I mean.
1: Uh, uh, yeah, I think that's true. I think that's true. And to be honest, I think maybe you know, there have been uh, occasions where holding has been a bit more physical. And I think that Diego Costa cup final is one, but it's a very different thing. Winding up Diego Costa to winding up son. Yeah. I mean, Diego Costa was a brute and liable to blow up. Whereas son is cute. You know, he is clever and conniving in the way he plays Mm. the game. And we walked into it. We absolutely we fell into the the sun trap. Hundred percent sure.
0: And this is where I think when we're talking about the team selection, and again, people might say it's hindsight, but I don't necessarily think it is a hindsight thing. But Tommy Yasuo at right back was probably the better choice if you were going with a back four. And I know, well,
1: yeah. Although the right back wasn't actually asked to to stay with Son, it seemed to me. I mean, maybe it's difficult to know, you know, mm. maybe Son was pulling on to Holding. I, I didn't didn't look like that to me. I thought it was set up deliberately for Holding to take Son. So maybe it wouldn't have mattered who was right
0: back. I, yeah, maybe. I just think he, he gives you a bit more protection on your right-hand side.
1: Yeah, I, um, I, I think Yeah, certainly with hindsight that, that would have been better. Um
0: Yeah, because the the left back, the the left back options are imperfect, but Cedric is average at right back, and he's average at left back. And Nuno, look, maybe he'd have got roasted, maybe he would have, but I think we saw when he came on, he can also give you something going the other way if you've got eleven men on the field. But
1: of course, yeah, I mean, why have two sort of compromised fullbacks? Exactly, you could just have one. Exactly. Um, I think, on reflection, that that would have been the right call. But, yeah, as for the Son um, holding thing, I mean, it was building all the way through. You mentioned that sort of tussle with the elbow and holding, you know, turning Son over. What was his first booking actually for? It was was just for... for,
0: No, it was for a a tackle where he actually won the ball, stood on the ball, but Son got his body in the way, got goal side of him, and holding was basically just... Holding was holding him, holding him by the shoulders, and it was a cumulative... um, It was a cumulative yellow card. And actually, to be fair, I'm not trying to be um, in any way on on Son's side, but I think holding very early on made a foul on Son, which could easily have been a booking. I think it was one of those where, because it was so early in the game, the ref sort of let it go but I think if that happens 20 minutes into a game it's a yellow card on its own so there was that one there was the wrestling one and then there was that one which made it a yellow card and I was sitting there thinking as the game was going on I was going hmm halftime tweet is gonna have to mention Rob Holding that maybe we need to look after him here and look after the team and take him off but Mm. of course we never got that far um what's your view of the second yellow
1: Well, I was very well placed um, to see that incident. It was directly in front of my line in sight and I was sort of just above pitch level. And from the angle I saw it, it looked worse. When I first saw it, I thought, oh, shit, he could go straight away Um, because I couldn't Mm. quite see what part of his arm made contact. I think as a second booking, personally, I don't think he can have any complaints, really. Um,
0: in, real time, in real time, in real time, I thought it was harsh because I thought right. it was one of those where maybe Son was making the most of it. Where Holding it just kind of stepped across him, which he did. But replays, uh, he can't have any complaints. You know, when you're on a yellow card, if you do that and you raise your elbow, you raise your arm as you're making contact with the guy. I think if it's just shoulder to shoulder and he keeps his shoulders, keeps his arms by his side, he probably gets away with it. But because there's that raising of the arm, that movement, like...
1: We, didn't we have a big debate on here earlier in the season about a guy's shoulder going into a head? I yeah. forget if it was for or against us and, you know, whether that should be a straight red in itself because it's dangerous. Yeah. Um. It, it, you know, and the thing is, I don't preclude the idea that Son isn't, uh, sort of crazy enough and cynical enough to think, <laughs> to sort of lean into it.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. I think there's, uh, you know, it's definitely not 100% holding. There's a little from column A, but a lot from column B, column B being holding. But but certainly Son is wise enough to know that if he makes that move, he could yeah. tempt holding into the foul. something. And he,
1: which- he plays like, he makes a run, which is like, I know this player's on a booking and I'm going to make a problem yeah. for him. And yeah, I, I you know, I, I don't think there's, we'll get to the penalty, which I think is a lot more questionable, but I think yeah, he probably had to go there. He did,
0: yeah. Yeah, I mean, he and the thing about it was, it was needless. You know, the ball was going over his head. It was going straight through to Ramsdale. There was no need to, to make that challenge other than he was wound up after the yellow cards, after the previous tussles, yeah. and he just wanted to put himself about a bit, and he, he lost control. He just could not keep his head, which is, again, really, really unusual for Rob Holding because he's a fairly calm guy, pretty calm character. He doesn't seem to get too um, fussed about anything. I think he's one of those guys that if you, in normal circumstances, saw him pick up a yellow card, you wouldn't be too worried about him getting a second one. Whereas last night, after that first yellow card, I was like, look, just get to half time and get this guy off. Um, Yeah, I think he'll
1: be really disappointed today. Yeah. Um, I think he really will. And and I don't think tactics helped. I think, you know, he was in a a vulnerable position that doesn't suit his strengths against a very tricky player. But I do think the emotion of the occasion – was also a factor mm. and it's so challenging. A North London derby, I would say, is about as emotional a fixture as exists in the Premier League and with these stakes even more so. Yeah. But I do think Arsenal's job was to kind of somehow try to set that aside and focus on the kind of practicalities of the task. And I do feel that collectively they slightly struggled with that. And I'm not saying that's an easy thing to do. Mm. It might be an impossible thing to do, but they didn't manage to do it. There was even a moment, you know, I mentioned that tussle with Gabrielle and Kulusevsky where I could see in it how fired up Gabrielle was. And I'll be honest, watching, I sort of went, oh no. (laughs) Like I wanted us to be motivated, but... I feel like we got sucked into the the sort of vortex of the atmosphere and, and everything attached Maybe. to it a little bit, and none more yeah. so than Rob Holden. Well, none more than Holding.
0: I mean, I didn't really see it on a collective level as much as I saw it on an individual level. I remember the bit you were talking about with Gabrielle and Kulisevsky, and the ref canned that down pretty quickly, but I thought, yeah. like, because it was quite early in the game and it was one of those where I thought, okay, the temperature could really get going here. Yeah. Well, I thought Gabrielle did pretty well. You know, he didn't get carried away with himself whereas holding whatever it is, whatever happened to him, whatever frame of mind he was in. It just it was just the absolute worst time for that to happen to him or for him to let himself get into that state when really it's so far out of his comfort zone and so far out of his normal character that it was inevitable that that it was going to end badly uh, unfortunately. And I I I wonder if we had a properly fit centre-half on the bench, if Mikel Arteta might have done something about that more quickly, you
1: know? Um, I just Maybe, but it, it would be very unusual, wouldn't it, for him well, to make that change?
0: Look, he took... Nuno Tavares off against Nottingham Forest after half an hour True. and was making that change after 25 minutes. And I would say that Nuno's performance that day was nowhere near as the potential damage from his lack of performance that day is far less than Holdings last night, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, sense. going
1: to 10 men is just so costly, isn't it? You know, it, mm. it and it's happened obviously too many times this season, but. Yeah, um, Yeah. I mean, the game was effectively up at that point.
0: Well, let's... I mean, I don't really agree that it was up at that point because I think with 10 men, you're still in the game, but what you can't do is let in a second goal.
1: Sorry, yeah, I actually got the order of those instances muddled in my mind. They were so close together. Yeah, let's come Um, to the... Should we go back to the first goal there?
0: I mean, I think that's a bullshit decision. I think it's absolutely the most generous penalty decision I've seen all season. You know my rule on this is like, what happens if if it happens up the other end? Um, as I said in the blog today, if, if we got that penalty up the other end, I'd have sent Paul Tierney a gift basket to say thank you for his <laughs> generosity because, look, no way. Absolutely no way. And uh, what's infuriating and maddening about this is that I think the referee is fooled by Sons acrobatics, because if you watch when the little bit of contact uh, is made by Cedric, he like kicks his legs up in the air and he's, you know, falling over. The crowd is right there and they're all pointing and they're all immediately looking for a penalty. But this is the same referee that not a few weeks ago. In the Liverpool Spurs game, there's a great clip on on Twitter by um, I think Kickarse HD at Kickarse HD has this, and it's basically a Spurs player going through the back of could be Diego Jado or um, Luis Diaz or somebody like that, basically barging him to the ground, like deliberately from behind, barging him to the ground. He waves play on, but for this, he gives a penalty in a game of this magnitude like it's a it's a really, really, really generous decision to the home team, and I I, I I think it's never a penalty, never a penalty in my view.
1: What I would say is, if it hadn't been given, there's no way that VAR would have flagged it. correct um, If it is given. I don't think it's getting overturned, unfortunately, just because there is some sort of contact they can justify it with. But yeah, yeah I think it was incredibly soft and a real home decision. Um, I think Son, you know, as usual, knows exactly what he's doing. And my only sort of caveat, my only sort of point on it is I feel like Cedric sort of gives himself a problem by not really competing for the ball. Like if he jumps and competes for the ball, there probably isn't a foul. Yeah. The fact that he chooses not to is what means he bumps the player. And it does slightly smack to me of a player going into a challenge they know they can't win. And so, mm. yeah, I do think we have to look at ourselves a bit, but I think it was yeah. very, very soft. It's season. a
0: little bit clumsy from Cedric. And, you know, I guess that's what you expect from him. He is, generally speaking, a bit of a, a clumsy player, capable I mean, of again, those kind of moments. if,
1: if Tommy Asu's on that back post, yeah it might be a different outcome.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, look, there, there was no doubt in my mind that Kane was going to score the penalty because that's what he does. He scores mm. penalties. We then get the sending off. And then the the second goal. Um, I know we're going to discuss this in detail, probably in, in a bit, but Mikel Arteta post-game and his comments about uh, the referee and if I say what I think mm-hmm. uh, I'll be suspended for 6 months so clearly um he, he was quite upset by certain decisions I think when he looks back at the holding thing he'll accept that this was on his player this mm-hmm. wasn't necessarily a refereeing faux pas or or whatever it might be I think he's quite justified to be annoyed by the penalty as most Arsenal fans are Today, I think, annoyed by that decision. So, you know, the the first goal, as we know, in a game is really important, and when it's a gift to the opposition, yeah. I fully understand why he's pissed off.
1: But uh, there was somebody a- told me that. Um, Go on. Harry Kane had touched the ball once prior to the penalty. Yeah, maybe so.
0: Maybe so. I mean, that you know, that comes back to what we were talking about. Like whatever little worries that we had about the system or the formation. We were coping, I think, yeah. even though Spurs had gone into a period where they were they were um, enjoying more possession. But um, when you look back at the second goal, there's a free kick awarded to Spurs for a foul on Bakayo Saka. I don't know how noticeable this was from where you were sitting or if you've seen replays of it. Mm, but I think it was
1: right in front of me. Right, yeah.
0: so... Spurs are given a free kick because Hoiberg stands studs first on Saka's foot. And I think all this sort of like, well, actually, the referee got all the big decisions right, so I don't know what Mikel Arteta is talking about. Maybe he got the sending off decision right. He didn't get the penalty decision right. And that's a very, very bad decision as well. And I think that's going to be one that Mikel Arteta is furious about because you know your own player is fouled you get a uh, they get a free kick from there they get a corner i, I do wonder if somebody could have, could have given tommy assu a shout um just to let the ball go out but i can understand why you know as a as a defender he decided he would just you know safety first option just make sure uh, that the ball goes out of play so they get a corner we're not organized you've got inketi at the back post um marking kane he doesn't really step up in time uh, he's not really a defensive player. You don't want him on Harry Kane anyway. But I think part of what Arteta will be pissed off about when it comes to the referee is is that decision, the free kick decision.
1: Yeah, I'm sure he will when he looks back at it. And I'm just watching the set piece again. I mean, most of the defenders step out. Mm. Eddie doesn't. Um, and it, it, it works out well for Spurs. I, I think, to be honest... I think the, the the nature of our sort of implosion has been overstated in most media. Uh, but I do think in those moments after the sending off, we were a bit ragged and rattled. I think that sense of injustice that we had so, uh, because of the penalty was kind of compounded by the red card. And I think organisationally, we weren't great in those minutes and it cost us the second goal. Mm. Um I mean,
0: again, this comes back to having a fit, fully fit central defender on the bench, that I think we would have made that change pretty much straight away if we'd
1: had that player. You, you would imagine so, yeah. And um, kind of made do with sort of fairly makeshift defence for the rest of the game. Um, might have to make do with a fairly makeshift defence on Monday too. We'll come to that. Um but yeah so I'll be honest as I sort of alluded to earlier at this point in the game I I was you know uh feeling pretty deflated and it felt like it had just completely got away from us in the space of you know what is it 15 minutes really something like that
0: Yeah Um I don't know what m- more we need to talk about with regards to the game itself um, no, I mean,
1: obviously conceding straight after half time as well. That was
0: that was very worrying, to, to be honest. Because I was sitting there, well, maybe you
1: know. I was thinking about Leeds the other day. Of I was course. going,
0: well, you know, if we can dig in, maybe There's we one get a goal to, in it in maybe the last got
1: ten go. minutes. You never know. Kind I, of thing. And
0: we did have a few sights of goal, even when we were down to ten men. That's what's part of the frustration this morning. Is that I think eleven versus eleven. If we'd stayed in the game you know, we're more than capable of fashioning opportunities, which we
1: did uh, even with 10 men. But yeah, I mean, it's a long time ago now, but before the game, all the Spurs fans were freaking out that Romero was injured. Um, you know, he's their best defender and they had to play. Who's the guy who came in from Ajax? Um, Sanchez. Sanchez, who, you know, is a bit of a disaster. And so, and Martinelli and, you know, the first half was getting at them on that left-hand side. Um, yeah, uh, mm. I we we might have made a fist of it I guess potentially in the second half had we not conceded so soon as we did. I mean it was barely a minute into the second half. Were you how
0: worried were you at that point because uh, Pretty when that goal went uh, in I was like uh, I wouldn't mind just like switching this off and and not doing the rest of the live blog and just sort of I don't know um doing a jigsaw puzzle even though I hate jigsaw puzzles.
1: Yeah, pretty worried. Mm. It's a sloppy goal as well, that third goal.
0: Do you think there was a foul on Gabriel or does Gabriel need to be a bit stronger?
1: Mm, not seen enough replay. I, I don't think that's a foul, to be honest. Do you?
0: Mm, I think he. it's six of one half a dozen of the, of the other. But I, I think maybe he could be a bit stronger there, Gabriel.
1: I think Elneny... Um, you know, could do better to cut out the pass into him, and I think maybe he could do more to get to the ball before Son. Mm. Um, he, I think if he throws himself in there, he might get a block on it, but he sort of pulled out a little bit at the last minute. But yeah, it's really, really sloppy from an Arsenal perspective. Yeah,
0: and then it's it's absolutely one hundred percent game over at that point. And um, you know, yeah. this is where when Arteta was talking about um Ben White and his possible inclusion like I'm sure he considered it at halftime but he must have also thought well we're down to 10 men we're 2-0 down chances of getting anything out of this game not impossible but slim whereas we may well need and as it turns out we absolutely need Ben White for these last two games so I think that played into the into the change uh, or the lack of change in in that sense
1: um for sure i, I think uh, certainly at 3-0 thoughts did turn you know to to the two mm. games next week um i mean i think probably the major talking point from an arsenal perspective in the second half is the the gabriel injury yeah
0: probably. yeah i mean i've seen people say well hopefully it's not too serious it's not too bad but is that not just a classic of the player sits down, rubs the back of his leg. My hamstring is gone genre. I think it is
1: straight down the tunnel. Yeah. Um, like that's, that's season over, right? It seemed to me like he knew what he'd done. Yeah. Uh, and so I think, you know, (laughs) we need a miracle really for it to not be that. Um, in my mind, he's out. Yeah my mind yeah, is
0: out. Same. Same. And we'll we'll I think touch on that in part 2. We'll touch on that in part 2. Um there's nothing creditable about a 3-0 defeat away from home, but I have to say I'm pleased that it was just 3-0. I think they they worked pretty hard. Um I know Spurs had a couple of chances. Ramsdale made a very good save from um Royal and Son put one over the bar. Yeah, he did um, but you know, Spurs were happy to to sit back and play their unadventurous football. That's bolstered by the fact they've got two, um, you know, very very potent centre forwards. Um, yeah. So you know, th- they didn't have to do anything. We made a couple of changes. Smith Rowe came on. Um, who else came on? Uh, Lacazette came on, and who was the other one? Did Nuno? Nuno come came on, of course. Yeah. He came on for, for, for Gabriel when, when he got injured. Um, so it was really, at that point, damage limitation. But when you think about how poorly a night could go, you lose, Harry Kane scores twice, Son scores, you get a player sent off, that player's then suspended. You lose another player who's been the bedrock or one of the bedrocks of your central defence um probably gone now until next season. There's the potential, I suppose, for this defeat to resonate, although I do think that is something that, that Mikel Arteta immediately sought to to address in the way that he spoke to the media and what have you. Um
1: but overall, yes.
0: overall, uh, before we talk about Arteta's comments, because we've got to talk about those. Overall, just like a hugely, hugely disappointing night, but one that we've got to put behind us very, very quickly.
1: Yes, very disappointing. Um, I think as thrilling as it would have been to win, the real objective here was not to lose. Um, We obviously did lose, and there are elements of this defeat which are reminiscent shall we say, of the way in which we lost at Crystal Palace. In that, it feels like a match that could cost you more than those three points with the players that we lost to injury and suspension. You know, we lost uh, Gabriel, we lost holding. um, Mm. And who knows how much momentum and confidence we lost to. It it at least (sighs) crystallises and makes very clear exactly what we have to do. And we are blessed Mm. that it is still in our hands. You know, we all knew we went into this game with a four-point cushion. Well, you have a cushion so you can use it. You know, Um, it gave us the luxury of being able to lose this game and be in the driving seat. And you would not have known it from any of the coverage last night, but Arsenal are fourth.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's it. As painful as this is and as damaging as it is, I wonder if, you know, the, how do I put this properly without annoying anyone, that we have to recognize that there was a cup final element to last night and it was in some ways portrayed as like a winner takes all kind of scenario, but it wasn't
1: really. That's how I'd portray it if I was a TV company as well.
0: Well, yeah, of course. Of course, we, we actually had, um, oh, where did, did we have a question? No, I can't find it now. I'm sorry. But, you know, it is always horrible to lose the Derby. But this uh, defeat, it feels worse because it was built up in the way that it was built up. Because we saw the prize at the end of it. and We thought, okay, if we can get there now, it's huge and we can relax. But as we know, uh, we're Arsenal and we do not do things the easy way, the simple way uh, at all, ever. Never in our history have we ever done it that way. So I don't know why anything would change now. But, you know, we have to try at least and objectively step back and say, okay, that was bad. It was not what anybody wanted. But we cannot in any way dwell on what happened against Spurs. We just can't do it. It's it's too important to get miserable or to get our confidence knocked or whatever it might be. Like, they've got to put this one away in a box.
1: In they a have box. They try, but that's something Arsenal have struggled with this season, you know, or at least our defeats have come in spurts, it seems to me, often. Mm. Um, you know, we lost the three at the start of the season, the three back in April a few weeks ago, Everton and United uh, back-to-back. We can't afford that at all no. now. It's got to be. We always get a reaction, but it's not necessarily instant. And this time, it has to be instant.
0: That's true. That is true. Um, and that's uh, the work that the the players and the manager and the coaching yeah. staff have got to to. to and it's get challenging, right. you know. It, it is, is yeah. challenging. It is. I mean, and like, it's easy for me to say, "Don't let it affect you." But of course, you know, if you're a, a player and you felt like you were close, and then. Something like that happens. But I do think Arteta was smart last night when he spoke to the media. Because what he what he's done, when he came out on Sky and said what he said about, if I say what I want to say, I'll be suspended mm-hmm. for six months. What else did he say? He said, I don't like to lie, so I don't know what I can say. Um, he talked about being proud of his players. He almost, James, went, so proud, so, so proud.
1: Yeah. I mean, he place. borrowed a line from Mourinho. If, if I speak, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I prefer not to speak. I think he said at once.
0: Yeah. Point. Um, and he, you know, he made the point that this game is history. We've got to look forward now. We've got to look to Newcastle. Um, and I've seen people say, well, this is just him being a sore loser or whatever it is. Hmm. But I think it's smart because he is trying to foster a little bit of a siege mentality. He's trying to consolidate his players after a, a a bad defeat, a defeat that is going to hurt them, you know, particularly against that opposition. It is going to hurt. And what he's done is take the heat on himself and take the pressure off his players in a big way. Like I've seen, you know, people saying, well, why didn't he say something about the players or some of the, you know... The shortcomings, Like, he, he won't be blind to the shortcomings of the game or the performance of some of the individual performances. But when you've got two really important games still to play, you can't go and lambaste the players and then expect to get a response from them in the next game. You just can't do it. And I think he is trying to foster that siege mentality again. Um, privately, what he might think of the decisions in the cold light of day could be quite different from how he felt last night. But I, I think the way he responded... On TV and in his press conference was the perfect way um, to just compartmentalise this game as much as we can possibly do it.
1: I agree with that. We do this thing in England where, like, we sort of we take managers at face value, and we really analyse. When I say we, I mean sort of you know generally the media. We really analyse and sort of take a lot of stop from stuff they say immediately Mm. after games. And that's mad to me because there are two massive factors that influence what they say immediately after a game. One is emotion. Mm. They're not thinking clearly at that point in time and they have their biases and all of that stuff. The second is that they are managing a situation. It is public relations. They are using their platform yeah. to send a message that they wish to send, often to their own players or their own fans. Yeah. And I think it's so ridiculous that Arteta comes out and says this stuff and everyone's like, well, he must be insane. He must be myopic. He must be blind. He's just using the situation to his own ends. And, yeah, its I find it so weird the way that we don't, factor that into our analysis of what managers say often enough. And yeah, clearly in this situation, what else can he do? He's going to say, I'm proud of my players. We're going to go to Newcastle and win. Um, The officials were against us, events conspired. That's the way that he would play it. It's the way Guardiola would play it. It's the way Klopp would play it. It's the way any manager, Mm. including Antonio Conte, by the way, yeah, we'll play it.
0: we had a couple of questions um, on this. So I will just might read a couple out while we're talking about this particular thing. So we don't have to go over it again in part two. Richard O'Grady, who's at Richard o- Richard O'Grady 85 said, what do you make of Conte's post-match comments on Arteta? While Conte himself is guilty of complaining, I do think he raises an interesting point. And uh, Alfie Clegghorn, who's at Cleggs, with a Z underscore on Twitter says, hi guys, I'm curious on your, uh, on your part, what you thought of the post-match interviews from the managers. Personally, I loved Dartetas, and I think Conte may have made a big mistake in kicking us while we were down, handing us extra motivation. What are your thoughts?
1: Well, I was in Conte's press conference and he likes to talk. I mean, he went on and I, I couldn't take him seriously, to be honest, because you know, granted, he won the game and he's a very good coach, but he, he did a lot of saying things like, you know, I don't complain. If I wanted to complain about us having a 12 p.m. fixture on Sunday, I could complain, but I'm not complaining. He did a lot of complaining while saying he wasn't complaining.
0: <laughs> yeah, the worst uh, kind he, of complaining he, there is, yeah.
1: Yeah, he was like, you know, I you'll notice I didn't complain about how bad the refereeing was in the Liverpool game. And I was like, well, you're complaining now, mate. So they're all at it. They've all got their own agendas. They've all got their own, you know, purpose to further. Um, I thought what he said about Arteta was patronising when he said, the way he was saying it, kept reiterating he's at the start of his career. Mm. Arteta knows that. Everyone knows that.
0: Um, I mean, the comment about being, he said he doesn't lie. What about the you know, re- referring to the Derby in, in January. I mean, what the fuck is that? What is that?
1: I I don't know. And also, um, I mean, to be honest, the whole I, I don't complain thing. I mean, Conte, as far as I'm concerned, seems to have been complaining since the moment he walked into Spurs. Yeah. Um, so uh, just an absurd kind of argue, line of argument from him. Um, and maybe, I don't know about doing a favour, but yeah, I'm sure it will serve as added motivation. It added motivation for me, let me tell you, sat in that press mm. conference room, listening to him talk. I think I tweeted, I just wrote on Twitter, we have to get full." Oh, is that like, when you wrote it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was listening to Antonio Conte. I saw, I saw that tweet. I was going, that's
0: a bit sort of, it's a bit, it lacks a bit of context. It's like... You know, yeah. obviously we can all uh, understand the sentiment, but I was going, what's making him tweet that right I, now?
1: It, what it was, was I was listening to kind of reports of the Sky coverage and oh. it, I hear they were kind of really relishing our oh. demise. Um, And I was listening to Antonio Conte crowing. And, you know, I just thought it would be so funny to now take that away from them. As painful as losing the Derby was... It would be so wonderful for it to mean nothing at mm. the end of the season and for them to put out another DVD of a game they won in a season they finished beneath us. I I know it's not a given. I know it would be difficult, but I, you know, at the risk of going full Kevin Keegan, I would love it. There was a lot of talk last night, and I would love Arsenal to shut a lot of those people up. Yeah.
0: Likewise. Likewise. I mean, the the Gary Neville... Martin Tyler Spurs love in was just fucking like just, I know I I've mean, got like, my own obviously box. I dare you, you, watch you, you, that you. No no don't don't inflict it on yourself but it was reminiscent of the the opening day of the season when Gary Neville uh you know and Jamie Carragher were cavorting with the Brentford fans at the end of the game like that that's sort of like I get if it was a home game And Arsenal had won 3-0 and the stadium was rocking. They would reference that kind of stuff. And my own inherent bias, when anyone says anything nice about Tottenham, I immediately think, what a dickhead. Mm. Uh, I, I accept that fully. But it was unbelievable at times. Like Neville was in full moany little prick territory right from the very start. Remember, I want you to cast your mind back. Not just a season or two seasons. I'm not talking about Gary Neville, the pundit here. Gary Neville, the sort of reinvented shop steward of the people who makes some good points while, um, you know, looking like a complete hypocrite in others, but, you know, has come across much more reasonably than I ever thought he would when he was a player. Cast your mind back to Gary Neville, the right back. Gary Neville... When United and Arsenal were going at it, you remember those games. You remember mm. the way he was. Miserable, whiny, little prick. And he was like that from the start last night. There was a moment where Enkedia went into the box and he took a bit of a tumble and ref played on and the game went on and they showed a replay. And he's like, oh, where's the yellow card for a dive? Where's the yellow card for a dive? And you're thinking, shut the fuck up. And that's kind of where we were all night with this. And of course, when they're ahead, when Harry Kane scores, when Son, a player who I think Gary Neville can identify with in terms of like, you know, that Spider-Man meme where one Spider-Man is pointing at the other Spider-Man. Yeah. One annoying, snide little fucker pointing at the other. He recognizes a lot of that in Son. He sees a lot of himself in Son. So it was insufferable. It was insufferable. So, But
1: what we have to remember, I think, a lot of this is because we're not supposed to get fourth this season. We're not supposed to be in the Champions League. And if we do, it's a bit of an embarrassment, especially to a club like Manchester United. Mm. Like, we will embarrass them if we do it. If we get the Champions League with the lineup with, you know, Cedric holding Elneny and Ketir in it, after the summer they had, a team with Sancho, Ronaldo, Fernandes, all of that,
0: Varane. Remember, Varane. The, know.
1: If we beat, when we've already finished above them, yeah, which is a humiliation, really, for them. And so, if that's what affects the way Neville sees things, then I'm unsurprised. If we get the Champions League above the great Antonio Conte and the league's top scorer in Sun and all that, it will be embarrassing. Yeah. for everybody else it'd be great for us but we will have massively overachieved in that situation and everyone else will look like failures yeah, yeah and yeah. they all know that and they don't want it to happen and that's why we have to make it happen. that's why
0: uh, aside from the other million reasons we have to make it happen that is exactly why we have to make it happen and and that's been i think reflected in a lot of the coverage and i do think i've got a question or two about that in okay. uh, in part two so Why don't we take a break here? We'll come back, do your questions and more in part two, right after this. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog. all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at ArsBlog. Also on the ArsBlog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an ArsBlog member on Patreon. Before we go into the questions, um, I, we didn't actually talk about this, although I gave it a mention on the main pod last week. Your book, The Champ and the Chump, is nominated um, for the Sunday Times Sports Book Awards, James. So, congratulations.
1: Yes for that thanks man it's cool i'm up against uh such luminaries as phil tufnell and uh clive tardsley uh in my category right i
0: i know who phil tufnell is he's an english or ex-english cricketer i don't know who the other guy is
1: he's a commentator tildesley Oh,
0: clive tilsley oh yeah 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 maybe ah
1: okay Um, so yeah, yeah that was really exciting i i uh was amazed to be shortlisted for that. So, and you can vote for me to win.
0: This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm saying. It's like the the last day, isn't it? For people to go and vote. So come on, um, online Arsenal, mobilize and get behind James. There's a link.
1: com slash vote, or it's my pinned tweet on Twitter. Um, Okay. Find a link there. And you, you have to vote in four categories, but you can vote for Paul Merson in his category. And you can vote for Olivier Giroud if you're not too heartbroken about him continuing to be handsome and quite good at football elsewhere. Um, mm. And vote for me in my category. That's the important that one. That
0: is it. That is it. Sportsbookawards.com forward slash vote. There's a link in the show notes as well if you just want to click through from your podcasting app. So uh, congratulations again and good luck. Fingers
1: Thank you. Crossed. There's an awards due in a couple of weeks' time. Right. Uh, 26th where I will find out the results. But to be honest, it'll be a nice uh, evening regardless.
0: All right. Um, Let's crack on with the question, shall we? Uh, Do you want to go first or will I go first?
1: Uh, I'll go first, shall I? Okay. Um, We sort of touched on this in part one, but Atif Guna86 on Discord says, if you look at Arsenal's pattern of losing this season, it's evident we tend to lose in clusters. Mm. Three in a row. Two in a row. How anxious does this make you about the Newcastle game? <laughs> quite anxious,
0: mm. quite anxious. I mean, I can't say, like, for all the, it's still in our hands, which it is, which is a good thing, very obviously. Um, I am anxious. I'm not blind to that fact and, and what we've done at times this season. Um, you know, because you 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 lose to Palace and you say, we got to respond, we don't respond because we lose to Brighton and then we lose to Southampton. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not possible not to be anxious, but I just hope that the manager and the players can regroup with whatever kind of injury ravaged squad we've got going into this game against Newcastle and just rise to the challenge because it is a big challenge. Um, but you know, like, like everyone, it's impossible to... To feel comfortable about where we are and what we're doing and everything else, I mean, I would feel much calmer, much happier if Spurs were to drop points to Burnley on which, Sunday, which for could example. happen. They
1: play before us Sunday, yeah. twelve
0: p.m. Um, so you know, big old what's the guy's name? Veghorst, root Veghorst, Weg- root Veghorst who's going to voot a few goals um, for Burnley because they're scrapping for survival. Look, it could be one of those games where it's easy for Tottenham or it could be a real uh, challenge for them. And I hope it is obviously a real challenge and pretty much all of their players pull their hamstrings um, so so badly they need to be hospitalized. Um, But yeah, look, how can you not be anxious? There's only two games to go. We've got a point advantage. We beat Newcastle could have a point advantage going into the final day. We could have, we could seal the deal, depending on what happens against, against uh, or between Spurs and Burnley. But like, if anyone's looking for words of comfort, or solace, or for me to calm them down, and make them feel better, sorry, no can do. It's not that I don't want to, I'm just incapable of it, because the situation is the situation. So... Yeah, it has
1: taken us a little while to stabilise after some big defeats this season. And when we lose players, sometimes it takes a little while to find a way of playing, a solution that functions. Mm. Um, And there just is no time left at this point. I
0: mean, do you think, I know we've got injuries and we've got suspensions and everything else, but the, the fact that it is uncomplicated in in that it's out of our hands in some ways, makes it easier. Like, we're not sitting there. Mikel Arteta is not going to be sitting there going like, now, what tactical master plan can I come up with for this weekend's game? It's like, who the fuck have I got fit? And how many of them can I put on the pitch at the same time? Which isn't ideal, but it may prevent an element of overthinking or, or whatever it might well, be.
1: assuming Gabrielle is out, I can only think of four defenders that we can pick.
0: So, yeah, we did have, we did have questions about that on the discord. Jamie said, if Gabrielle is out, are there any creative solutions to the back line or does it simply have to be Cedric, Tommy Asu, White, Tavares, and Prey? Prey is not the name of a defender that we could pl- uh, play in a back five, by the way.
1: I think he means get on your knees kind of stuff. I mean, like I say, I, I think it picks itself, doesn't it? I Mm. think Ben White's going to be patched up, whatever state he's in. Um, Mm.
0: Tomiyasu does play left centre-half for Japan. So this is not like playing a fullback at centre-half. It's not like playing Monreal in a two. You know what I mean? So Tomiyasu has plenty of experience playing at left centre-back. So on that basis, while it's far from ideal... We're not putting somebody in there who's never
1: played in that position before. No, and to be fair to Monreal, he was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, point. yeah, yeah. But um, so, and then I think Cedric and Tavares are sort of your only real options at fullback. Mm. But in terms of a creative solution, Arteta being Arteta, I'm sure he'll at least be toying with the prospect of putting Granite Shaka in there in some capacity. Um, I hope he doesn't do that.
0: I hope he doesn't either. I really hope he doesn't. Um, I think you just have to kind of, in some ways, embrace the chaos that the universe has thrown at you. Yeah. Um, I
1: mean, obviously, chaka dropped in there a lot last night, but it was a very specific situation. Um, mm. I think we need him in midfield against Newcastle. And I think you've just got to bite the bullet with Tavares at this point. And yeah. hope you know, the game of Russian roulette that is fielding Nuno Tavares brings you the right result. Um, hmm. I don't see what choice we've got. I mean, they're the four defenders we've got, aren't they, <laughs> basically? Yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean, there's there's nobody else for right back, is there? No, I mean, I think we're into like Zach Swanson territory and, you know, something yeah. um, I mean, the- if there's a midfielder. I mean, you know, El Nenny's played at the back in his career – yeah. I don't I, again I think he'll be needed in midfield. Um, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean you could potentially put him there and bring Lokonga into midfield if you wanted. I mean, do you think there is a a need for some freshness?
1: Saka, I guess, is an option in a back four if you really push your luck, do you know what I mean? Like mm. or if you really want to mix things up.
0: Yeah, I mean, Saka at left-back, and then you just say, if you're going to go with the slightly more chaotic element, you could start Nicolas Pepe.
1: Yeah, or, or smith Rowe and Martinelli. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I don't think he'll do that. I think it'll be Cedric at right-back, Tavares at left-back, yeah. Tommy Asu and White. Yeah. Uh, which is not our best back four. <laughs> yeah. Shall I say?
0: I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, you've got two of the best back four in there.
1: You've got White, fingers yeah. crossed, and Tommy Asu. Only one playing is, is well. I mean, some people think centre is Tommy Asu's best position. I mean, if you ask any, you know, if you ask the Japan international coach, mm. he'll say it is. Um, I don't have any worries about him there. Actually, I think he'll be fine.
0: My only worry about Tommy Asu is, you know, can he can he last? if, you know, the the calf problems are lurking in the background somewhere, which I hope they're not. my I have no worry about him being able to play in that position at all because I think yeah. he can play anywhere as a defender. He's just so good. But it's physically how well can he hold up? I mean, on the one hand, you can worry about his calf and maybe he'll have a recurrence. On the other hand, this is a guy who at this point of the season is relatively fresh. Um, you know, given the fact that he didn't play a lot from January onwards. So hopefully that will stand him in good stead for this one.
1: Yeah. And I think the next defender in line after that is probably Shaka. Um, and I don't want to have to go to that. So yeah, Mm. hopefully that four can make it work. Um, I mean, Newcastle an interesting one. Their home form has been very good. Their away form, patchier, much patchier. Mm. They had some heavy defeats recently, one to Spurs, one to Man City. Mm. Um, I don't think we should get caught up in the idea that they're in any way... On the beach? Well, I, I, I think they're improved, but they're still very much at a mid-table team. And Arsenal are very capable of going there and getting a result. Our record at St James's Park is excellent. If you are looking for a sign of hope, uh, I uh, was surprised how good it is. Orbinio tweeted some stats about it last night. I think mm. we've won seven of the last eight, or something like that. Um. So there are portents there that make me think it's it's certainly you know yeah. doable. It is. Um- and it just to be- feels tough. We're, 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 you know, we're down to the bare bones at this point a little bit.
0: It's, I've said this to you before, that this season, the way you can go from feeling really positive to fearing the absolute worst mm. in the space of one result or one weekend, I've never known anything like it with an Arsenal team, Really? there's usually sort of, oh, well, we're just not very good, but sometimes we're very good, sometimes you know, so my level of anxiety and worry really, really has fluctuated throughout this season and, you know, last night I was nervous, but hopeful and then afterwards you're thinking, oh, fuck, well, we've got no players, no defenders left, tricky away game, oh, phew, I think we're fucked, you know, and and that's sort of the way, I'm sure I'm not alone in that, in the way that my mind works, but it's up to them to respond, so... Um. Yes,
1: exactly. We've had so many twists and turns. Um, mm. and, and we remain in the box seat. I know it, I know it doesn't feel like it this morning. Yeah. I know it doesn't. And I think because Spurs' fixtures are more favourable. I mean, one thing that I always look at with some interest is what the bookies think. And all the bookies have Arsenal and Spurs odds on to finish in the top four. And in a lot of them, it's level-pegging. So it is very tight. Yeah. Um,
0: EastUpper on the Discord said, do you agree there's a lot of outcome bias analysis around this game? What I mean is this pundits deciding Arsenal self-destructed when realistically there are two very challenging decisions given against them, which would massively impact any team. 3-0 when you're down to 10 men for an hour away in a derby is basically
1: an incredibly standard result. I think there's some merit to that. I mean, it's it's, it's difficult. It's really difficult to kind of separate everything out and analyse football properly. It's such a mad sport, but... I, ultimately, the game was decided by big moments in that first half, and those moments went in Spurs' favour. Be that due to refereeing or our own mistakes. Um, I basically don't think. I think there is there is a there is a oh, I don't really know, Andrew. Sorry, I, I sort of um. <laughs> I mean,
0: what, what I mean is that, do you think in some ways it suits the drama of television? Because we know Sky had a very big impact on when this game was played and the drama of the postponement. And I don't want to relitigate all that because, you know, I do think it's uh, bullshit the absolute focus that was on that one postponement and none of the others that that took place over the winter involving many other teams. But it it's sort of suits the drama for them to push the idea that spurs were brilliant and arsenal were terrible arsenal cracked under the pressure spurs were masters of the occasion those kind of absolutes which i don't think were really or don't really explain what we saw last night i don't think it's quite as cut and dried or as black and white as that
1: no i think that's right and i think you know, it's theatre and and media in the, the business of selling a story and a narrative, and that's a narrative everyone enjoys, right? Big club, folds under pressure, Arsenal implode. That's something Sky can spin and mm. newspapers can spin. But it's much more nuanced than that, essentially. And I think we recognise that. I think most fans recognise that. It's just shorthand. You know, ultimately people are dealing in shorthand and um, we're a big club and people like to see us fail. Mm -hmm. They really like it. It's fun for them, for a lot of neutrals. You know, like when United screw up and everyone revels in that. You know, a lot of people who are in big high-profile media roles now grew up on Arsenal being the top side of the country and couldn't get near them and now that we're not there's people ready to pounce on that
0: yeah i um, mean can i just pick up on that because i have another couple of questions here yeah. uh, from the discord and there were some on twitter as well i'm sorry i didn't uh uh, I can't find those but the two on Discord uh sickly morning to you lads says S Thompson BK I like the the one on Discord sorry I can't find it right now who said repugnantly morning to you which I really enjoyed <laughs> he said am I paranoid or just too biased like any other fan but has the English sports media been fawning over Spurs more than usual these past few years Gary Neville's commentary was awful and Guardian writers David Heitner and Barney Roney wrote articles that could have been written by the Spurs press officers. Is it because Harry Kane is England captain? Um, it's not like they've had any success or trophies that would deserve this kind of praise. And there was another one from Bratnock who said, question away from football and massive disappointment, I know it's hard to judge when emotions are raw, but why do commentators and pundits seem to overly relish Arsenal losing? What is that about, do you think? And I genuinely think there is something to the way we are reported, the way media covers this club that is distinct from many others. And I think in some ways it harks back to Arsene Wenger. I know it's always been there in the background because you could go back to George Graham as well after the brawl at uh, at Old Trafford and being docked two points and George's famous speech to all the players, you know, um, they want to see us fail. It's it's open season on Arsenal, all that kind of stuff. But I think it's tied in a little bit in Premier League uh, terms anyway with the arrival of Arsene Wenger and the, the notion, um, and I say that deliberately, that Arsenal were in some ways, a a foreign club uh, because of all the French players that came mm. first and because I think we were the first team ever to play a non-English uh, first 11 in the Premier League, that kind of stuff. But going back to the uh, postponement earlier in the season, um, the way red cards are reported, um, aspects of our discipline or things that happen to us um inflicted upon us by other teams whereas if we'd done them like I think if 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 Granite Xhaka had stood on a player's face this season you wouldn't have heard the end of it so we'd still be hearing about it but because it happened to Tommy Yasu it's sort of glossed over we all remember it but nobody else gives a fuck so uh, do you feel that as well in certain things that that it feels disproportionately weighted against us. I'm not saying the writers that I mentioned are, are um, biased against us or anything like that, but it feels easy to stick the knife into Arsenal when it doesn't seem to happen to other teams or other clubs anywhere near as much.
1: I think probably fans of several clubs would feel like that um but i but i'm an arsenal fan and i i do feel a bit like that <laughs> and i it's no slight on these writers but i definitely spoke to people in the press box after the game and thought i think you've been so, sort of suckered in by the atmosphere and the scoreline a bit in yeah. terms of how complimentary they were about tottenham um and i and i people say i have my biases too and that's fine but I don't think they were exceptional. I think I think they were good, but you know, I think that we were as guilty as as, mm. as they were good. And and I also think that what is the basic narrative of Arsenal what is the what is the true story of Arsenal season, in my opinion, it's that they've restarted a project, they've got a lot of exciting young players, and they have obviously improved, right? And people don't want that to be the story. It's not as fun as Arsenal choked it, Arsenal fucked it up. And any opportunity that people have to tell that story instead, they will seize upon it because it sells better. It's more fun. Yeah. But I'm not going to allow that to deter me from my own perception. And none of us should really. I mean, if the, if the, if that is how you see it, then that's fair enough. But, um you're right I think a lot of this does come from that perception of us as a foreign team I think it's I think it comes from us being historically very successful people like to see us down on our luck Um but whatever happens next week we are climbing back up that is a fact so they can enjoy they can have their night but mm. We are making steps forward, and that's more important.
0: Yeah, I think, I think you're right there. I agree with that. Um, it is easier to say Arsenal have blown it or will blow it or whatever. And look, I can't say that there isn't an element of that. Like, I wouldn't deny that if we don't make the top four, there isn't an element of us blowing it. There probably is, based on some of the results and some of the performances in the last few weeks, right? Mm. But at the same time, none of that will mention the fact that we don't really have a center forward, haven't really had a proper center forward all season. Um I know we had Obamiang earlier in the season, but I think he scored... Four league goals um, before everything went wrong there, and that's you know a decision that people will debate until the cows come home. We've had a load of injuries. This is an Arsenal team that's pushing for top four without the kind of goal threat that teams like Tottenham have, like Liverpool have, like Chelsea, Man City, uh, etc. They all have that. We don't have it. We're running on fumes. We're asking squad players to come in and be crucial and be vital Um, and to some extent or another they have but that won't get mentioned and maybe some people will think that's excuse making but we're in the top four right now we're not there by accident and we're there with a very underwhelming squad in terms of depth and options And that in itself is I'm not going to say it's an achievement, but what you can see from this season is that if we can plug the gaps, if we can add the quality, then maybe this time next season, we're not sitting here with two games to go worrying about being in the top four because we'll have done it with games to spare.
1: Yeah. I mean, listen, no one is more desperate than me for us to do it, especially sat in that room, listening to Antonio Conte. I I don't mind saying he talked for about 25 minutes. There were like several occasions where I thought, can I actually leave here? And I sort of decided it wasn't the done thing. (laughs) But um, I'm desperate for us to do it. And I think we could very well still do it. But if we don't, I'm uh, listen. I won't be. I you won't you won't see me writing or saying that Arsenal have blown it. What I will say is that ultimately we weren't quite good enough, and I can live with that. I can accept it. If we get it, great. If we're not good enough, if we don't beat Newcastle and Everton next week, so be it. That's where we are in our trajectory in our journey, but we've made steps forward. And I believe this summer back in Europe, we can make more steps forward. And yeah, I really hope we get it, but I'm not going to fall into this trap, this lazy thing of like Arsenal a week, just because that's what Gary essentially Neville mainstream media is spinning. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just not having it. I, I just don't think it's accurate. And like, yeah, it's, it's, so, it's, so, it's such an easy case to make. It's like Gary Neville's been saying this thing all season of like, I don't trust Arsenal. You know, they win a few games and then they lose one. Yeah, well, that's what teams that finish fourth do. They lose games. Yeah. Otherwise, they'd be first. It, it, it's, such a, it's such a stupid argument to sort of say, well, they don't win every game. Yeah, no, they don't because they're not in that bracket. It's exactly who they are. And nor to Spurs and nor to Chelsea and nor to United.
0: Definitely it, it, United.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, so, like I say, I would love it if we got it because it would it would force some people to eat humble pie and eat their words to a certain extent. I'd but if we don't... Piss
0: in their pie.
1: Yeah, indeed. Magpie's in their pie. Magpie but, pie, yeah. But if we don't, I'm not gonna get swallowed up by the bullshit, I mean the thing is like is how
0: bullshit. seriously how seriously do you take someone like Gary Neville when like a few weeks ago he's predicting man United to finish in the top four? Well there you go, you know, like you may have a point it's easy to sit there and and say to point out the faults, but you've got to have some measure of balance for people to take you seriously, like no. Single pundit, I don't think, maybe there was one out there, but across the UK football media, when they all do the same thing in August, what's your prediction for the top four? What's your prediction for the relegation? I don't think a single, single pundit had Arsenal as a contender for the top four.
1: No, I Not mean I what? shared that amazing video of those YouTube guys. <laughs> it's I don't know who they are, but it's a bunch of YouTubers doing their top six, One of and them like is they're pulling the... out names like Leeds and Aston Villa, and nobody mentions Arsenal for yeah. the top six.
0: One of them is the the Jordy guy, the big Jordy guy who I recognise, but the rest of them I, I don't know who they are. But it was it's all inc- like it's a
1: masterpiece. Yeah. It's what's your what's your
0: top seven? Um, right, Man United, <laughs> Leicester, <Yeah. and> Everton. <laughs>
1: Everton are Leeds. in there.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Accrington, um, Stanley, Chesterfield United, and then probably Chelsea. I don't, you know, and it's like, but those predictions are
1: probably done after the first couple of games or, or maybe at the start of the season. I don't know. But at a point in time where, you know, people, it's quite, you know, George, paraphrase George Graham, it's open season on Arsenal. And that's, people love that. Today, people will be relishing that. It'd be great if by Tuesday morning, would shut a few up. I would I'd love it. And everyone's partisan in football. No one can convince me they're a true neutral. Um, you know, Gary Neville's there theoretically as a neutral reserve, of course he's got a United allegiance. How could he not? Mm. We have our Arsenal allegiance. We see it our way. That's fine. Yeah. That's part of the game. Let's not pretend it's otherwise. Everyone's got a stake. Everyone's got a bias. Um and mine's for Arsenal. Sure, and I hope we shut the fucking wankers up next week. <laughs> uh, I'm with you.
0: I, I really hope. I really hope we can do it as well. And you know, like we said, it's it's in our hands, which is a better place to be, even after last night than Tottenham are. Like, I'd hate to be sitting a point behind Spurs with two games to go. I'd rather be where we are. Yeah, that'd be
1: miserable. Mm. You know, and in the cold light of day, the league table is what it is. They've got to go to Burnley and get something. No, you know, but I mean, they've got (laughs) to play Burnley at home on Sunday. Uh, They're at home. Spurs, I mean, but um, Mm. who knows? It would be very Spurs. It would be very Spurs.
0: It's not like there is a a history regarding the Tottenham. That could manifest itself over these last two games. That is for sure.
1: Well, absolutely. Yeah. Patrick the Pintman lost. He said, would there be anything more spursy than beating us 3-0, then losing to Burnley? I'm praying that the history of the Tottenham <laughs> will continue. <laughs> we don't I, even need it to if we do our job.
0: Yeah, that is true. They can do what they want as long as we do what we need to do. Um, which would make it even funnier. But look, if they slipped up along the way, um,
1: that would be lovely too. Um,
0: let me have a look here at some questions.
1: Can I? Can I do a quick yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. This again, uh, because we talked a lot about sort of narrative and stuff like that. Daniel Connolly on Twitter said, "How long does it take for our young players to learn to rise to the occasion? Time and time again, our young gifted players become overawed by the atmosphere of a fixture. Will they ever learn?" And I. I only raised this just to say, like, I think that is narrative. Like, I'm not sure the youth of our players was the issue yesterday. And actually, the mistakes that I feel were made, I thought the young players cope better with the occasion than some of the more senior players.
0: They have done all season. They have done all season for me. Like, this is not a... Like, I think one part of that is, like, young players are always going to – their form is going to fluctuate a bit more, right? Mm -mm. Because they're young. So they're going to have their ups and downs and and everything else. And we've seen that this season with some of them. But I don't think it was a case that young players were overawed last night. I think you're talking about – and we already discussed Rob Holding, who is 26, 27 years of age, very experienced player who should know better. Um, yeah. Someone like Cedric, who is a very, very, very experienced player. He's in his thirties now. It doesn't make him good enough. His yeah. age doesn't make him the right guy, or his experience. You know, so I even
1: thought Granite Shaka was off his game uh, in the first half last night. You know, and he's about yeah. as experienced as they come in this team. So, yeah. I-, I don't think that's what happened. Um, but it's sort of an easy line to draw. Do you know what I mean? Mm.
0: Can, can I ask this one? Because I think it is an interesting one. We had a couple um, along these lines. Um, one from the Discord, from NY underscore Gooner. who says, does the lack of emotional control in a big game force the club to move certain players on he said those players on if they cannot handle a game like this then surely they won't be able to at the next level either and uh, on twitter ali adier says do games like last night prove that players like rob holding are just not good enough to take us where we want to be despite being players that are liked and respected at the club surely a part of the culture change needs to be getting rid of the comfortable players and i don't necessarily think that rob holding is a is comfortable or going through the motions. In fact, if anything, I think last night, you could say he cared too much. Um, but but that's an interesting idea is like finding that balance between squad players and players who, if we get top four, uh, can come in and contribute.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I, I, I didn't hear it, but I heard that Tim Steelman did a sort of audio bit on... Arsenal Vision's Discord, uh, Patron uh, podcast, rather, where, you know, he talked, I'm paraphrasing and I didn't even hear it, but it was sort of about the fact that, you know, you should be moving on from squad players. Um, You know, they might be all right to do a job, but churn is basically good. You bring in somebody better and the squad generally improves. Mm. Um, I find myself sort of not entirely agreeing with that. I sort of think, There is a value to retaining squad players at times. I think it's a case-by-case thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really come out of last night feeling like Rob Holding showed that he hasn't got the mentality and he's just fundamentally not good enough. I I don't actually feel like that today. I feel like the way the team was set up and the, the... way in which he approached the game was wrong and he got that wrong but i don't derive from that some sort of fundamental conclusion about therefore we he must go
0: i i think if this was the fourth or fifth time rob holding had had that kind of game where the occasion got to him and he lost his head he lost his composure you would say okay We need to really have a serious think about this, right? Yeah. But I don't think that is the case with him. I think for the most part, he is a serviceable backup defender in this squad. Do I think he's ever going to be more than that? No. Therefore, you might ask the question, well, if that is the case, do you consider his position? Do you think about, okay, Let's bring in somebody who might be a bit younger, but who could potentially develop into a player that is a, a first team player. I do think there's yeah. merit to that discussion.
1: But Arsenal definitely need a fourth centre back in the squad. Yeah. Who If only we had one, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, years who ahead. is uh more of a threat to sure. Gabriel and White and, you know, a potential first team prospect. That that's true. Yeah. That's true.
0: I would I would say that based on last night, if you want to talk about last night and maybe the last couple of weeks even, as hard as he's tried, someone like Cedric is the perfect example of how that guy, given his age and everything else, is the perfect player for squad churn. Yeah. He is. Maybe a bit more than holding, but then holding, I think if you're looking at him and you're assessing him, You're going 26 years of age, got some years on his contract, English could be the kind of player that gets you a few quid in the transfer market if you bring back William Saliba next season and can convince him that his future lies at Arsenal because there's the contract thing to sort out, then maybe you take the Rob Holding money and you invest it in a younger central defender or you invest it in a right back which allows you maybe to play Tommy Asso at centre-half if you want, then that's the kind of thing they should be considering. But I don't know that it's necessarily a priority in the sense of, um, like you say, holding just not being anywhere near the level, if that makes sense.
1: No, like I agree with you. If someone knocks on your door with a lot of money for Rob Holding, then I think you've got to – think very seriously about taking it but mm. assuming that's not happening um, then I don't think anything we saw last night especially against the weight of evidence that we've seen in the build-up to last night makes me think he needs to be called into Arteta's office this morning and told I'm afraid you're leaving in the summer I just am not in that place I don't see it like that mm. Cedric I think is a really different case and I actually think his age is a massive part of why we think of Rob Holding as one of the more experienced players in the squad. But it, you know he's still only twenty-six,
0: mm.
1: and Cedric is thirty now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's fair to assume that he's he past his he peak. Is. Yeah. So he's going to get worse on our time in the next couple of years, probably. Oof. And that's not something we want to be doing. So I, I would say before he gets any older and loses any kind of residual value, um, I think, yeah, he probably is someone who you'd be earmarking and saying, yeah. it might be time for him to go. And yeah, I think it has to be case by case with these squad players. Like I've said I would give Elneny a new deal on certain conditions. Mm -hmm. And I kind of see Rob Holding in a similar fashion, like a really reliable pro who over the course of a season in specific roles will have a value. Mm -hmm. But I don't think either of them are sort of, you know, the future of the team or a serious threat for a first-team place. But I think that's okay if you're trying to carry like a 25-man squad. Um, But there are people like Cedric, and I think even to an extent in Ketia, or, and maybe even Tavares, I would count in this, although it's slightly different because I think we're still finding out about him, where it's like, I'm not convinced uh, keeping them around is a great idea.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I know so, you mean.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, it's-, it's... It's the balance, isn't it? Because
0: you want a competitive squad. You want a, a squad of players that... Um, has depth, but it is difficult to maintain the balance when, I mean, particularly this season, I think maybe it's been exacerbated this season because the squad player thing has been exacerbated this season because we've had no opportunity to really play the squad players until we've had to.
1: Mm. Whereas kind of deliberately slimmed down as a consequence of that. Yeah and then slightly paid for it when injuries have bit. Yeah. Um, but the reality is, like, we could all sit here and say, yeah, let all the squad players go. But it's just not happening. No. Like, yeah, we've got- we're not doing 10 ins and 10 outs no. next summer.
0: No, no, no. I and mean, we need maybe five in, at least. Because as it stands, you know, we could be down to a 16- Sixteen-man squad um, without field yeah, players. I know there's some yeah, players who are coming back from loan, but like again, those loan players are in contractual situations where it doesn't make any sense to do anything other than move them on and get the money and and replace them. So there's there, there is a lot to do this summer. So you have to you have to factor that in to what you want to do or what you can realistically do.
1: Yeah. And and football clubs, like, this is a very sort of banal point to make, but it's not championship manager. Like, you can't just click and stick bids in all over the place. Working on deals takes resource. And Arsenal did six last summer. Um, and it took to the end of the window to do that. And it was a lot of work. And not many people get more work than that done. Mm. So... Uh, Yeah, I think we have to be quite realistic. It's interesting to hear Edu go on record a few weeks ago talking about one or two signings. I can't see that being what happens.
0: I think what he's talking about is, uh, you know, one or two... Marquee. Yeah, top level. And then
1: then you... One or two first 11 players, shall we say. Yeah.
0: And then you're buying squad players. But yeah. then squad players can replace squad players, if that's what we're, if that's what we're worried about. Um, will we do one more question? Because then I think we've got to go and get this podcast out to people and get on with our sure. our days. But this, you know, after the red card, uh, Rian at Rian Vacha on Twitter says, can we do anything going into next season to help our reputation with the referees? Um, not only do many soft decisions go against us, but clear decisions often don't go for us. And then he says, should Arsenal release a 17-plus-minute video showing off these decisions? Um, and I don't want to really go into the, the nuts and bolts of refereeing conspiracies or, or anything like that, but I do think we have a certain reputation now as a, if you want to call it a red card team. Yeah, We're a team that's easy to give red cards against. How do we fix that?
1: I don't know. It's interesting... Watching last night and seeing the dialogue between the referee and the respective captains, obviously Spurs are helped by the fact that the nation's golden boy Harry Kane mm. is their captain. And he seems to be on very good terms with all the referees. And there was a moment in the second half where, do you remember Ramsdale? I can't remember Ramsdale but complaining about something, and
0: he called Odegaard over to have a it, word. Yeah,
1: yeah, and I and I, I just thought, well, Odegaard just hasn't got that relationship, has he? Like, he, he doesn't exert that influence over a referee in the same way. Mm. And, and I mean, in a way, it's one of the greatest arguments about against ever giving Granit Xhaka the armband. Because the last person, while well, the players might regard him as the captain, the last person that, that we as a club want to see to have to go in to mediate with a referee... Is Granite Shacker?
0: What did he get booked for? late on, was it dissent of some kind? I didn't. They didn't show it on the TV. I think
1: it was. Yeah, I'm not sure either. Um, but that will be interesting. You know, can Odegaard grow into that role? Can he build a reputation and a rapport that means he's able to kind of wield some? Influence throw some weight around in those situations. I doubt he'll ever get close to someone like a Harry Kane with his status with the England team. No, no, no. Um, So that's a a thing and a consideration. I think other than that, it's really tricky. I mean, unfortunately, as long as we keep getting red cards, it becomes self-perpetuating, doesn't it? It's like Mm. we have the reputation, so we pick up a lot of reds. We pick up more reds, so the reputation builds. It's a vicious cycle. Yeah. And I don't know how we stop it because I don't want us to sort of – I don't want to say, well, rein it back in. Don't be a But we're, we're
0: not a dirty like team, though, either. I mean, that's the thing. We are not what you would consider a dirty team. I
1: don't, not Leeds. No.
0: No. No, exactly. I mean, you look at – Jesus, that tackle the other night, Dan James. Um, I Ooh, mean – They've been putting in fuck. a blade. I
1: mean, yeah, they're, they're, there's a desperate quality to the way they're playing.
0: Um. I mean, the only thing I would say is that uh, maybe a a more rounded team, a team with a real striker or two that can exert better control over games in general may avoid some, not all, of the situations which have resulted in red cards for us. Or... The red card may occur at a point where we can cope better, if that makes sense. You know, we're 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 ahead in the game rather than behind, and you can do the ten men behind the ball thing. Um, maybe that's a way of, of dealing with it. But I do think it's an issue that that uh, come the end of the season, I'm sure Mikel Arteta will be will be thinking about and and trying to get on top of because, you know, it is a. It is a problem. It has been a problem this season. And I think the other point that that, uh, the questioner uh, Rian Vacha makes, and it's a valid one, is that certain decisions, if that was Granite Jacka moments, Mm. that other teams have got away with things against us that we would never get away with. And Mm. that's not to be... They're out to get us, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I I said this to you before. I feel like this Arsenal team, as with some in the past, is officiated to different standards. So there you go. Right. Right oh. Right oh.
1: Um uh, onwards, James. Yes, hopefully, we Newcastle in a couple of days. So Oh my goodness i actually in the away end for that one. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed.
0: Fingers crossed. Okay, well, we've got a weekend to prepare for that. Um, we will have a preview podcast for you on Patreon, probably on Sunday. So join us uh, for that, because the game, of course, is on Monday night. So we'll leave it till Sunday to do the preview podcast, see what emerges over the weekend in terms of stories and everything else. And we'll do an Arsecast Extra for you on Tuesday. So until then... Take it easy. Keep the chin up and uh, let's see what this Arsenal team can do in the next two games. We'll uh, catch you on the next one.
1: Bye-bye.